The Tablet Show, Episode 16, with guest Russell Ivanovich, recorded live Saturday, January 19th, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show, conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Russell Ivanovich about building Android applications. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, that's right. It's The Tablet Show. It's Carl. It's Richard. We're talking tablets for the next hour. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, beginning to snow here, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's get into Better Know Framework. Oh, I even had a line. Okay, what is it? Well, I, I was on Twitter, and you know, I, I, sometimes it makes you smart, sometimes it doesn't. But there was a guy debating two different technologies, and he mocked one by calling it pants-on-head-retarded. <laughs> That's just a little bit politically incorrect, don't well, you think? Well, I wasn't even going to go with the politically incorrect part of that. I'm just saying, how, is that really a, a statement of really bad, or is that just a little bad? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't. That's not particularly heinous to me. No, it's that's just, a, that's a good party. I've had weekends where that's all the only place my pants ended up. <laughs> or when you know the first words out of your mouth in the morning are "Where are my pants?" That's it. No, I've I've told you about those evenings. You know the evening I ended up in the neighbor's hot tub three doors down. Oh, you and- really want to put that out there in the public, Richard? <laughs> okay, we'll let that go. Yeah, anyway, we'll let that go. I don't know where to go with that, actually. Better know a framework. Oh, <laughs> yeah, somebody wants to get to the business. And that great theme song. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> You're listening to The Tablet Show. This is a .NET Rock subsidiary. Yes. All about Windows 8, Metro, Android, iOS, and uh, mostly for .NET developers moving over into this space but you know come on along for the ride the strange new world share your experiences with us today i'm talking about windows.ui.xaml.input hmm and uh this maps roughly to system.windowsinput in silverlight however it's only 24 percent of the silverlight in the compatible yeah so windows ui xaml input defines the input and input event infrastructure for apps and ui elements of course uh, there is another related namespace, windows.ui.input, without the XAML, which provides support for the Windows input system, which includes touch, stylus, mouse, and keyboard device input, okay. gesture detection, recognition, and handling, inertia detection, configuration, and handling, and input contact pointer data. But but I'm talking about system.windows.xaml input, which is the input UI infrastructure. Okay, so what's the difference? I don't know the difference. Right off the bat, they're both related to input. Okay. XAML input provides, I guess, the UI side of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the event handlers and things like that. Inertia expansion behavior. Inertia rotation behavior. Inertia translation behavior. Ah, so, I mean, this is not just about text boxes. This is about any of the elements that are inside of your device. Yeah are available to you through this set of uh, interfaces. Pointer, which represents a pointer device. Okay. And the comments is, uh, in the documentation says, represents a pointer device. Nice. This documentation is preliminary and is subject to change. Because this documentation was generated by a tool. Yeah. So, oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what did you call me? 
So the pointer has like is in contact, which is read only that determines whether the pointer device was in contact with a sensor or digitizer at the time that the event was reported. So it looks like this is the event handling stuff in here. Right. Manipulation delta and manipulation delta event args. Nice. Uh, manipulation pivot. Um, manipulation velocities. Pointer. So this whole event idea arcs. that I can actually want to capture an event when something happens to the gyroscope. Yeah. Okay. And also, um, I command is here. Mm -hmm. And that defines the contract for commanding. And uh, that's essentially a can execute method and an execute method. So just evaluating whether you can do something about this. A can execute changed event. So, yeah, it's new. uh, But, you know, that's that's why we're here. Check it out. It's new. It's raw. It's amazing. Go play with it. Windows.ui.xaml input. And the, you know, the bait is coming. I don't think it's that far away. Next few weeks. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm pretty excited about that. So that's what I got, Richard. Know it, learn it, love it. I love it. What do you got? I got an email from Johan Sundstrom. You may remember Johan. Yeah, he won a free ride to Tech Ed Europe from .NET Rocks. Way back when. That was a few years ago. He's from yep. Finland. And uh, yeah, nice guy. And he wrote us, I mean, this is a lengthy email. And wisely did not, he just skipped the whole name thing. He just said, howdy. Yeah, what do we call this, name gate? Nice, yeah. I'm <laughs> trying to spin it into something, and it's really nothing. <laughs> yeah. I just listened to Tablet Show number 14, and 14, for those who don't recall, uh, Kevin McNish's show on Objective-C and developing natively for Apple, that that whole story, which I really enjoyed, and apparently, Johan thinks so, too. That show is a piece of gold, in my opinion. Awesome. Kevin answered a lot of questions I've had in my mind regarding software development for the tablet form factor. However, there are still things I feel he could have elaborated more in that department. I also feel like many other developers in this thing with tablets is something that has come to stay, and your ability to write software with a tablet form factor will be as important as web development skills are today. Couldn't agree more. I'm especially interested in the bit where enterprises or the business world would want apps for their daily work. Gaming and entertainment side of things is a completely different ballgame. Yeah. First, I didn't think that Kevin really gave a compelling example of applications that would make the tablet truly shine compared to, for instance, HTML5's apps that could run anywhere. Mm -hmm. That said, I do understand why non-geek people would rather use tablets instead of personal computers. I was in the mall the other day and playing around with an iPad 2 for quite a while, and I got very frustrated when I later tried to use a MacBook Air to look something up, and the scrolling was totally counterintuitive. On a touch device, you move your finger on the screen and the paper, read the browser page, uh, follows your finger. But on a laptop, I had to use the down arrow in order for the paper, again in the browser, to go upwards. Mm. It's easy to understand why the tablet is so appealing to the masses. It rocks. Uh, Secondly, the Apple-endorsed application deployment model really bothers me. It's okay that they provide the App Store as an extremely polished way to download apps and content, but I truly dislike that a small ISV is not allowed to deliver an app to a customer that specifically has ordered and paid for it. If the customer chooses to build an app itself, it would probably use the enterprise licensing model. That allows, in my humble opinion, the company to deploy the app to its employees. From what I've read, the only option to publish the app on the App Store for free and then require payment uh, through user accounts. While I understand Apple's reasoning about enforcing top-notch experience and all that, it does certainly not fuel a third-party ecosystem like one where you can find around the Microsoft platform. But perhaps I'm missing something here. No, actually, uh, Johan, I don't think you are. I don't think this whole issue is all that important to Apple. They're not worried about the enterprise, and I think that's an opportunity. 
Uh, thirdly, if you're not pleased with the Apple constraints, why not take sight on Android tablets instead? I found that one Android device is certainly not equal to another Android device. My boys got 7-inch L cheapo Android tablets as bonuses for selling Christmas magazines. For them, the most important aspect was to get Angry Birds to run. But it turned out that one tablet needed an OS update to a beta version before it was even allowed to communicate with the Android marketplace. Being a software dev, I had no problem helping my sons out here, but it was a big turnoff for me. I realized that the Android tablet world is a bit of a mess right now. The device manufacturers can freely decide which Android versions they support, and they seem to choose pretty arbitrarily. Despite Apple's dark side, it has a clear advantage against Android as they control the whole ecosystem from hardware to OS to app distribution. How do the mobile Android developers tackle this problem? And I can't answer that question for you, but I bet I know somebody who can. I do too. (laughs) And finally, do you think that Microsoft stands a chance to gain momentum with Win8 and their Metro philosophy? They are late to the game and they're up against some tough competition. I certainly hope so, but only time will tell. The question is, is there room for three different but competing ecosystems in the long run? And will one of your guests take that on? Cheers from Johan Sundstrom. Well, Johan, scored yourself a tablet show mug and uh, nice setup for our show today. So thanks for that, because I think we've got just the guests to start addressing part of this issue, but we will certainly debate it for you. And if you've got questions about our show, ideas on things we should be doing, just want to talk more about a topic we drilled into, you can send us an email, rocks at franklins.net. And with that, let's introduce said guest. His name is Russell Ivanovich. Uh, he's from Australia. He co-founded Shifty Jelly. Love it. Love that name. Three years ago from his couch. I'm just reading the bio, folks. And since then, they've had hits like Pocket Weather AU, which, if statistics are to be believed, resides on one in five iPhones in Australia. Wow. More recently, Shifty Jelly has ventured into Android development and has had some great success with Pocket Casts. And here to tell us all about that is Russell Ivanovich. Hey, Russell, how's it going? Good. How are you? Welcome to the show. So, Shifty Jelly, what a great name. Um, tell us about uh, Pocket Casts. I can figure out what Pocket Weather AU is all about, but Pocket Casts, is that a podcast aggregator? Yeah, basically. So, um, we built it for iPhone and for Android, and we, we mainly built it because we wanted it, I guess. We, we both wanted like a decent way to get podcasts on our phone without having to, to sync to anything else, and that's how Pocket Cast was born. Hmm. Oh, awesome. And it, what kind of success have you had with this? You said some great success. What Can you quantify it? Um, I I guess I can give you the numbers. I mean, they're on the, the Android market anyway. We've had between, what does it say on there? Between 10,000 and 50,000 downloads. It's probably somewhere in the middle there. Oh, that's awesome. And you sell it? Yeah, we do. So that, that's another interesting thing about the application. When we first went into Android development, everyone was advising us, you know, you've got to put ads in there. You've got to make it free. No one wants to pay, but... But we personally hate ads. We've never put ads into any of our products. And so we thought, you know, what the hell? We're just going to sell it for $3 and, and see what happens. And that and works. it sells. It does sell, yeah. Well, there you go. I love this because you, you're right. The gestalt has been, or sort of the, the common knowledge is people will buy iPhone apps, but they won't buy Android apps. And you've got empirical data that disputes that. Well, in maybe not the entire gestalt, but at least on this show, the people that we talk to that do both say that uh, they have less success selling Android stuff, and I guess maybe that's the culture of Android users, which are kind of geeky and tweaky and and like free stuff. And who doesn't like free stuff? 
I think everybody likes freak stuff. Doesn't matter if you're a geek or or you're a parent or whatever. But yeah. we, we've actually found the opposite. Like there's there's almost two segments of of the Android market. There's all the super geeky people that you know want the latest Galaxy Nexus and they want to root it and rom it and and all that sort of thing. But there's there's almost like another complete half that no one ever talks about. And it's just the average person that walks into a phone store, says, you know, I want a smartphone. What do you got? Likes the look of a, you know, a Samsung or a HTC or whatever, and just walks out with it. Like they're not, they're not thinking about how to ROM it. They're not thinking about how to root it. They don't want to install, you know, super duper whiz bang 3.0 on there, but, right. but they do care about apps. You know, they do want quality apps. They, they do want things that, you know, people like podcasting, people like weather, people like whatever. And they go looking for applications for, for those things. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I, and I love hearing that regular mortals are actually installing apps because that's been another element of this is that regular mortals don't install apps. That's only the geeks. Yeah, no, we we definitely. I mean, we we hear from people that that say, you know, this is the first app I've ever bought, or I've I've just started using the store, and and these are clearly people that you know that are not very technical, and they they still figure it out. You know, they go into the Android market, which I must say has Im- improved a lot over the six months, last six months. I don't know if you guys have been sort of following that at all. Yeah, we certainly hear the yeah. stories that the Android market is, you know, the Wild West. It's just a zoo. Yeah, well, see, a year ago, it, it probably, you could characterize it like that. You know, I sort of went on there just before we started development. I looked around and, you know, every comment was spam and links to someone else's website. And you'd, you'd search for legitimate apps and you'd just find, you know, really bizarre sort of fake apps. But I've noticed over the last year, Google has put a lot of effort into redesigning the store, maybe curating it a bit better, sort of featuring, you know, quality apps. And they've, They've gone from something that was, you know, quite dismal. It kind of looked like a, a really poor implementation of a web page to something that's, mm. I don't know, I'd almost call it more professional than what Apple's done in their store. Just the way they've sort of, you know, done the swiping around and the, the nice sort of layout and the curation and, nice. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Are they managing just the volume of different apps well? Because I think that's one of the problems that Apple's really got these days is when you've got half a million apps, you've got a problem. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so what Google does, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but there's no approval process. So right, you, right. you you design an app, you build an app. Whenever you want to ship it into the store, you can. There's no there's no sort of barrier entry. Fifteen minutes later, it's actually up and and available for people to download. So that I guess they've got a different problem to Apple. Like anyone can submit an app, so you right. get all these. And no offense to enterprise Java programmers, there was one, but you get all these enterprise sort of Java programmers. They're sitting on their couch. You know, they're thinking about, oh, you know, I, I hate my job. I want to do something else. And they just, they build an app and, and some of them do like a really good job and other ones are, kind of have the attitude, well, there's no barrier to entry. So I'm just going to, you know, throw this out there and, and see what works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we've heard too. And it just seems to muddy the muddy the content a little bit. Yeah, yeah it does. But I mean, that said, Google, Google has started to do a really good job of sort of highlighting, um, you know, highlighting unique content, highlighting good content, even from, from the small guys. Like you'll often find... Apple's quite willing to back a lot of the big publishers. You know, whenever there's a big game release, it's sort of plastered all over the store. But Google seems to be a lot more willing to to back, I guess, indive- independent developers as well. So have you gotten a plug from Google? We have indeed. So we were we were front page of their store for a whole week. Wow, that's nice. Was that for Pocket Cast? Yeah, yeah, that was for Pocket Cast. And is Pocket Cast on Android actually outselling Pocket Cast on iPhone? It is. I think it outstrips it about five to one at the moment. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's wow, unbelievable. And you, I mean, you can go into to the bait, debate as to why that is, but I think the more interesting metric is is just that it is. You know, it is possible to have an app that's comparable, you know, on iPhone and Android. It's not like the iPhone one is inferior in any way. In fact, it's the one I use every day. Um, 
but yeah, the Android one is outselling it. I think that's just an interesting data point, like all on its own. Yeah, very interesting. And which one came first, the iPhone edition? Yeah, so I should probably disclose that um, there's two of us here at Shifty Joe that do all the sort of the development, and there's a designer as well. And we all run iPhones, so the natural one that we did first was was the iPhone application. It was probably a good, I think, six months or so before we did the Android one. Huh. But back then we didn't do Android development. We, mm-hmm. I guess, we took we took the common logic, which was you know you can't make money on Android. You have to give away free apps, and right. you know people don't care about quality and all, all the things you sort of kept hearing back then. So we. We avoided the market completely, and I, I guess what didn't help is in Australia there was for a long time there was no real Android uptake. We're we're one of those weird countries that um, you know loves Apple devices and loves iOS, and we had I think two million iPhones at a time when we only had you know a few hundred thousand Android phones. A lot of that's right. changed sure. over the last year, but that that's how the the landscape was back then. So it was it was only logical that you know we had iPhones and we we built the iPhone app first. Does anybody have any stats in terms of Android phones or devices? versus uh ios devices i've i've been trying to get a hold of them i no one's sort of releasing any and i suspect i suspect that's because in australia there's still it's still not comparable like i think ios is probably still outselling android you know at least two or three to one yeah what um what what developer tools do you use on the android side of things um we use eclipse i guess that's a kind of throwback word like i said we both used to be Enterprise Java developers, we yeah. did that for seven years. So we, we played with, you know, NetBeans, IntelliJ, Eclipse. Yeah. But Eclipse seems to be the one that, that Google's favoring. That's where all their plugins, you know, work the smoothest. And it's okay. sort of one-button integration with deploying to a phone. And, and that's the kind of one we've stuck with. So let's talk to the enterprise Java developers and let them learn from your experience of, you know, what pitfalls to avoid, maybe just in thinking and architecture. What, what can we tell them? I think there are a few obvious things. Like I don't know if it's the same in the US, but enterprise Java developers here in Australia are very fond of, you know, patterns and frameworks and abstractions and and it, it's almost like there's sometimes you tend to over-design things, which doesn't really work on the mobile. You can't have a, you know, twelve levels of, of factories that pump out interfaces that pump out this that eventually leads to, right. you know, a, a line of code being executed. It has to be a lot leaner. Like these devices are not. Not as beefy as servers that you normally run your Java on. You have to be a lot more careful about right. you know, about memory, about speed, about CPU, all that sort of thing. I'm, I guess that's obvious, really. Right. Here's another question. I don't. I can't remember if we've actually addressed this on the show, Richard. But uh, do you have the idea of garbage collection with uh, with Android for the phones? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe that you do. So it's it's exactly the same Java. It's not. Um, okay. It's not modified in any way. The difference is that some of the APIs that you call. Uh, you know that Google have the the default Java APIs, and then they have their sort of APIs on top of that. And some of the things that you can do, like on a desktop, aren't supported. But the reason I ask is, do you, does it ever bite you? Does it ever hang? You know, I mean, garbage collection. It, it, one of the reasons why iPhone and iPad apps are so smooth is because the developers are doing their own memory management, and they're creating memory and releasing it, and and, and basically have a lot more control. So you don't have these sort of uh, the memory getting used up, and then all of a sudden the whole thing freezes for a second, you know, while and sometimes many seconds while uh, while memory is, you know, reshuffled around. So, do you ever have that issue with the kind of apps that you write? No. So, in in modern Android apps, I've I've honestly never seen that. You can see in the in the debugger sometimes you can see it doing garbage collection and that kind of thing, but I've never actually seen the phone, you know, freeze up due to it. And I, I suspect that. 
Google actually did a lot of work in this area in, in sure. their 2.2 release. I think it was Froyo they called it, mm-hmm. where they're yeah. basically heavily optimized, you know, the virtual machine that they use and, and how they do garbage collection. And I mean, since that point, I've, I've never seen that happen. That's cool. And I also like this whole idea that, you know, here is this runtime that for both Java developers and, and .NET developers, we're real comfortable with that we have right. this managed space to run in and it works well on a phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's that's no mean feat when you think about it. Sure. Like Java, Java is not the uh, the leanest of, of languages, especially when it comes to memory use. And right. to actually run that on a phone, and I guess you see now why Google had to kind of build their own JVM and and do their all sort of sorts of things like that. All right, yeah, Richard, have you ever noticed on the on the Windows Phone um, that it, a pausing due to garbage collection? Never. No, I'm, I'm I'm a heavy, and I really stress my phones out too. But you you just don't run into it. Yeah. On the other hand, it's very hard to run enough apps at the same time to consume enough memory for it to matter. You know, the fact that they pause apps in the background sort of avoids all that. I'm thinking of like running graphical games where there's a lot of stuff going on all the time. You know, heavy heavy GPU stuff. Do you ever do apps like that on the Windows Phone? Absolutely, and yeah. and and you're stunned at. I don't. Th- my instinct is that this little thing can't possibly play a game I'll actually enjoy. Yeah. And then you play one, like a, a you know a real time racing game, and you're stunned at how good it is. Yep. But it's you know the dedicated GPU. Like, there's a lot of reasons why that seems to work. But I, I mean, I'm just glad to hear the same that that Android isn't a train wreck. Right. <laughs> because there's a lot of folks saying that. And I, heck, half the time I, I'm willing to say that, you know, Android's kind of a train wreck. But what frustrates me with Android, I don't know if this is going on in, in Australia, but it's certainly going on in Canada. And anytime I've been in the U.S., I've gotten in the habit of secret shopping. I go into these cell phone shops and I say the same thing every time. I'm thinking about getting my daughter a WinPhone 7 for her birthday because mm. I've heard they were, they were great. And consistently, the response is, you don't want that. You want Android. They don't offer me iPhone. They offer me Android. I can um I can actually shed some light on that. I assume it's the same in Canada. I know a few people who actually run run phone stores. Mm-hmm. And up up until very recently, what happens is is they sell an iPhone and they literally make twenty dollars and that's it. Right. They sell some of those Android phones and they make two to three hundred dollars, you know, a sale. Yeah. And, and I think up until just recently with Microsoft's new announcement, it's been the same when they sell Windows Phone Seven. They they actually make a lot less money. So you think about it. <clears throat> you walk into these phone stores, a lot of which at least here in Australia, a franchise own. So the, yep. the person that owns it, you know, takes the majority of the, of the profit. And so you walk in there and you can kind of understand from a financial point of view why they get people to push push Android. That's They're going to sell the phone they make the most money on. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And that's what and matters. Fact, she, she tells me they sort of hide the, the iPhones down the back because they know that someone that comes in that wants an iPhone will get an iPhone. That You know, they're not going to be willing to walk out with an Android. And I think the way they see it is when someone walks in asking for a Windows phone, well, that's a lot more of a person you can you can sort of convert over to Android. <laughs> sure. That's funny. Well, and, it, and it, I mean, uh, WinPhone 7 is nowhere still, right? The percentages are so low. But Android's actually starting to dominate now. There's so many Android devices out there. I think that's that's part of the market share picture. Like, there is people that legitimately love Android and sort of love the openness and the, the different things you can do to the phone. But... I think you can't sort of discount the fact that the the majority of the the ways people get the phone is they walk into a phone store and they talk to to the phone rep. And if all those you know guys and girls are all sort of pushing Android, then it's it's no real surprise that that one's you know ahead in, in sort of sales and market share and and that kind of thing. Sure. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? 
I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. Should we talk a bit about tablet development? Uh, how many of your apps are focused on tablet? Well, see, see, this is the funny thing about Android. Like on, on the iOS world, you, you specifically have to say, you know, my app does or doesn't run on a, a tablet. It's either universal or it's, or it's not, or I can just build right. an iPad version. On Android, things are a, a lot more blurred. You can, like the iPhone, you can run, you know, any application on a tablet. You know, in the iPhone, you kind of get that little tiny window that you can sort of double size. On Android, it's quite interesting. You get that, and then you also get this quirky sort of mode where you can just say, hey, go with the, the layouts that the developers define. So even if the developer hasn't sort of thought much about tablets, some some things will still kind of stretch to fill the screen. Others will kind of be you know, little tiny things sort of down the bottom. And we've we've only just recently started to actually tablet sort of optimize our app. So even Pocket Cast at the moment, you load it up on a tablet and some of the screens look look quite odd. Like they're, they're really narrow things on this really massive tablet. Some of them look really nice, you know, all the ones we've optimized. And it's it's very much, I guess, almost like web development, really. Like you, you can specify in your Android layout files, you say, look, you know, this goes in the top right. It stretches this way. It's got a maximum height of this. It right. it sits below this element. So it's it's a lot more of a fluid thing. Whereas I find when you're doing iOS development, you tend to say, you know, at at zero comma two forty, this exact size goes this picture or or this button or this this sort of thing. And Android is a lot less like that. Hmm. Interesting. And they, and there really is no difference in the version of Android whether it's running on a tablet or a phone. Well, th- this is one of the historical sort of weirdnesses of android is that android got all the way up to version 2.3 honeycomb uh, not honeycomb sorry gingerbread right and then then they brought out this uh, 3.0 honeycomb that was for tablets only so that version actually never ran on a on a phone as such and that hmm. it was a real mess if you ask me the way google sort of handled that they didn't yeah they did not open source it so a lot of the tablet sort of manufacturers didn't get sort of access to it early and then even then you couldn't it was very hard to target an app at honeycomb because you knew that version was never going to run on a phone so there was all sorts of backwards compatibilities sort of things that you had to do and even now they've they've kind of got their new release you know ice cream sandwich which you know is tablet and phone mm-hmm. but as far as i'm aware there's no tablets that that actually run that yet yeah no, it's too soon you know the question that's been bothering me about android for a while and i guess you're the guy to answer it is do you have problems with your android apps running on all devices are there certain devices it won't run on, depending on OS combinations and so forth? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to note that the the place where people often think it's fragmented is in screen size, and right. in Android, that's actually one of the easiest things to deal with. Like, it it is a lot of sort of manual work, you know, to to deal with all the different screen sizes. But there's not there's not actually that many of them, and a lot of them are 
are sort of fairly standard sizes. And as long as you're willing to take the time to say, hey, this is what it looks like, you know, on a tablet screen, this is what it looks like on a this size Android screen, this is what it looks like on a on a smaller screen. Sure. All that's really well catered for by Google. But where you where you really come unstuck as an Android developer is is exactly that. There are you know, there are all these different manufacturers shipping Android and they all kind of skin it in their own ways. And to make it even worse, like a lot of them do the the sort of low level implementation uh, it looks like they do it themselves as well. Like we we found in the early days of Pocket Casts, you know, which is an app that plays audio, and we used just the standard Android media libraries. We thought, you know, this is great. There's a standard media library we can use. You know, it's across all phones. But we very quickly discovered that the version of that that HTC, for example, shipped is very different to the version, you know, Samsung shipped. So we're just following the the documentation. But we found in the early days, you know, on all these Samsung phones. You play two podcasts and then it starts saying, you know, sorry, playback failed. Can't play anymore. Wow. Wow. Indeed. And the only way to fix that was to actually reboot your phone. Oh, and so no. we, yeah, it was well, terrible. I, and I would, because I'm really cognizant of the fact that the Android devices, you like HTC's got their, their Sense uh, uh, UI and uh, Samsung's got one too. Uh, what's it called? TouchWiz. Like they're literally completely customizing the UI, but the underlying drivers, that's really frightening. I'm not sure I want to run an app called TouchWiz. <laughs> just well, you wait to hear about MotoBlur. <laughs> <laughs> that's better than TouchWiz. <laughs> okay. Are we running out of names? Is that what the problem is, really? Just different, we're only all that's left now are the dumb names. Can I go off on a little tangent here? Because this is really cool. I've been I've been struggling with the whole idea of product names, you know, all my life, really. But naming things is kind of a pain. And, and it, when you're thinking of a product, you got to obviously take into account the domain name. But, you know, it's like these, these made up words that get the most traction. Here's, a, here's an example. You know, for us in .NET, we have code zone, we have code plex, we have code project, all websites, right? When I go to, when I want to go to code plex, sometimes I can't remember code what? <laughs> what co code code mash code plus what is it because they're two words that you know maybe they don't go together but code is has big references in my brain to lots of storage all over brain gray matter but you know if it was something like i don't know pladoinka or something you know just some made-up word there are no associations so it's easier for me to associate that with a website in my brain and i think that's why those made-up words work better for brands than than uh all right i'm done you know the name this naming thing is totally out of control speaking of android are the freaking android phone names the hero <laughs> the magic the sensation you know like Really? I, I like the, the food-based OSs, you know? Ice cream sandwich. What the <laughs> hell? Who needs I just like the, I just like the length of some of these names. The HTC Epic Touch 4G Plus oh, or yeah. whatever. Oh, jeez. Do they, who's coming up? Like, do you think that's actually going to help sell the device? Really? Isn't that a hindrance? Sorry, I cannot buy a device with that stupid. But you name. know, even like the, the Lumia, that's a great word because it almost sounds like luminous or luminary and it, it, it light, you know, it has that word, but it's not a word. Yep. So what's going to happen is the, this is totally changing culture. Like the English language is going to be littered with brand new words that come from, uh, you, you watch. This is Lumia is going to be in the Webster's dictionary in three years. You know what I mean? Like Google is in the dictionary now. Like, and it's not even spelled correctly. Like these new words are being made up because of brand names. So 
It just gets harder and harder and harder to come up with new innovative words that capture the essence of your product yet are memorable and not easily confused with other things. I'm, I'm waiting for the Android superlative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, how can you, how can you come out with version two? Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you, that's easy. You just put a plus on the end. A superlative plus. <laughs> I love it. Plus. <laughs> the, the more superlative. <laughs> oh, really superlative. The bestest. Awesome. Well, you laugh, but all, all the Android phones we've bought recently come with that on the screen. It's it's Super AMOLED Plus. The bestest. Plus what? I don't know. Yeah. Version yeah. 3 would be bestestest. Version 4 would be bestestestest. <laughs> I'm just waiting for them to start putting 5G on things. 4G, that was so 2010. Well, now it's LTE up here in North America. I don't know if they're doing that in Australia yet. Yeah, one of our networks has just started rolling that out. It's not it's not very big here yet. No, it's not. I don't think it's big anywhere. The only thing I've heard so far about LTE is super fast, drains your battery instantly. <laughs> but we we shall see. Okay, we're a long way off the rails. Yeah, we need to do this every once in a while. Well, it's just fun to talk about phones. I'm 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 fascinated by the whole process. Yeah, and I I mean I think you've you've given us some real good nuggets here, Russell, about how quickly you know you can roll out new versions. How often do you push out a new version of your apps, Pocket Casts and and the Weather app and so forth? So we don't we don't have sort of a a fixed schedule that we we stick to. Like I said, we're just two developers and a and a designer. We're very sort of small and independent. But I think recently in in Pocket Cast, it's probably been about about one a month. Really. Yeah, something like that. So we've we've gone from obviously version one about a year ago. We're already up to I think three point eight or something crazy like that. Hmm. So and it's just not a big deal. You get some fixes in. You decide to make a build. You do a regression test. You're happy with it. Up you go. Done. It, it, it's slowly becoming more of a process. So I guess in the early day we were quite cowboyish about the whole thing. We tested it on one phone and and an emulator and, and we shipped that sucker. And I guess we were made to to pay for that. <laughs> right. In the, uh, I mean, in the short term. So do you get feedback from folks saying, "Hey, it doesn't run on my phone"? Yeah. So this is this is another thing about Android. Like coming from the iOS world, where I don't know about you guys, but I, I find that um, a lot of customers can be super critical if something doesn't work on their phone. Because oh yeah, you think? Oh, they, they'll tell you to shreds. Like if you've if you've missed something or something crashes, and and I guess maybe they've got half a reason because you know there's there's one current model of iPhone, there's a few sort of old ones. It's it's not that hard to. And they spent three dollars, man. Like that was half a latte they could have had. Well, in some instances, it's free. Like I had some problems with the Facebook app on uh, the iPhone. I don't run it now just because it. It gets, it just hangs it, but it's not the app. I found out. I, I my anger was misdirected. It's the iPhone, the threading model or whatever it is that they're doing is not good. Well, to to be fair, like that Facebook app is pretty terrible even on a on a 4s. And part of the reason for that is that Facebook went with um, web views pretty much everywhere. So even though the app is native, I think 95 percent of the app is just just a web page, sort of disguised as an app. And yeah. I, I don't know where their top-level developers have gone. If there's anyone from Facebook listening, but they've they've hired all these really talented developers and you know put them in a basement somewhere. Huh. Yeah, I don't know what they're working on. I hope it's great because it doesn't make sense the amount of talent they've grabbed up and what they've produced. No, yeah. the Facebook app definitely doesn't look like anything produced by you know all those guys that they've they've bought recently. For sure, I don't think we've really drilled down on the Android fragmentation problem enough yet. You know, and I really wanted to get your viewpoint on it because you're dealing with it. Yeah, yeah. So, so obviously the first way is you got to get a lot of devices, and we found that a lot of Android manufacturers are quite 
sort of nice to us. Like Samsung have sent us, you know, four or five phones and a tablet. The HTC guys have, have sent us phones. And we've – one way to deal with it is to obviously build up a large large sort of collection of phones. And I think we've got about 10 or 12 sort of different devices that we test on. The, wow. the other half of it is that Android users tend to be a lot – like I was talking about iOS users, they tend to be – you know, really strict and whatever else and really angry when something crashes. Android users tend to be really helpful. So we've had people leave us five-star reviews saying, you know, I open this, I press this button and it crashes, but hey, you know, I'm talking to the developers and, and I'm sure they'll fix it, no problems at all. And they'll they'll send you, you know, reports, they'll try and reproduce things for you. They'll sometimes even jump into sort of the, the debugging layer of Android called Logcat and they'll sort of send you these Logcat files. They're really, they're, yeah, they're just really enthusiastic to see, I guess, developers working on their platform. But that and, sounds like a, there's you've got a developer on the other end who at least knows the stuff that's hard and, and wants it to work. Yeah, a lot of times you do. You'll find that, um, especially amongst the enthusiast Android users, you know, these are guys that follow 55-step processes for how to get, you know, some bizarre ROM onto their phone. So they're quite comfortable with, you know, logging into things and, and delving into command line things and sending you debug reports because... sure. That they've kind of almost made that sort of part of their their phone use. It's I guess it becomes more of a hobby. And even if that's two percent of your market, that still is enough people to get a fair bit of testing done by the field. Yeah, and and the the other part of that that comes in handy is that you can deploy fixes to Android instantly. So, just recently, for example, we deployed version three point eight of our app, which which we thought we tested quite heavily. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out some of the the APIs we plugged into, you know, didn't work in some cases if you were using, you know, your second external SD card and all these bizarre things that we probably should have thought about but didn't. And we started getting those reports from from people immediately. And we were able to, you know, turn out version 3.81 and 3.82 within a matter of a few hours so that the majority of people that upgraded to the brand new version never saw that, you know, the few hours of, of flakiness that we had. And, and added to that, you actually get instant crash reports back from Google. So wow. let's say the device crashes on your phone. I within you know half an hour or whatever, I get a full report with an entire stack trace. You know, Wait that I nice. can then go and, and look through. Which that's is, from your which phone or a hand- customer's phone? No, no, that's from a customer's phone. Obviously they have to consent to that. It's oh. same as with, with Apple phones, you know, is Google allowed to send anonymous data back to Google? And if you say yes, we, we get those reports straight away. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I think there's another implication here too, because you're doing this so quickly. So it is fixable. You don't get to a place where you're like, oh man, like we're just not going to be able to support that phone. I have encountered that. It's 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 rare. There was this one phone, the uh, the HTC Incredible, it was called. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> but this this phone was nothing short of very not incredible. So there were a lot of things in our software that just didn't work with this phone and. And we, we eventually ended up hitting a wall. You know, it was running some Verizon build of, of Android 2.2 and all these things just weren't working. And it was things that worked on every single other phone that anyone had ever manufactured. And we just had to sit it out and wait for HTC to release version 2.3. And thankfully, they actually fixed a lot of those bugs. But yeah, sometimes you do just find it. We just won't run on this phone and that's nothing you can do about it. Interesting. And generally to make it run on a phone, are you literally writing, if this phone do it this way? Like, how do you, how do you cope with compatibility? No, so it's more you you find the kind of things that that fail on that phone, and then you try and you know I, I think it's very bad to say if it's a HTC Incredible do this because even yeah. they're not all the same. You know, they all right. run different firmwares and different versions, and right. so we were more trying to say, hey, if if this error condition happens, then then try out this, and if this error condition happens, try this. And what made that really hard is the HTC Incredible was never sold here in Australia. Right. So eventually right. HTC, we got HTC to send us one, but 
the ironic thing was they sent it to us after they already patched the problem for you know all these people. <laughs> well, and I see the Incredible is actually a CDMA phone, so it wouldn't run, work properly in Australia anyway. It's a Verizon phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so this is you know now you're dealing with the weirdness of the North American market, and I say that just so that I don't leave the U.S. all by themselves. Well, you know, is there a a sort of a dot mobi kind of thing for for Android where you can look at a database of phones and devices and see what they what they support um uh, or is it simply just a matter of looking at device capabilities in, in... Well, it's it's even stranger than that because in this case it wasn't anything that that was or wasn't supported it was exactly the same APIs that we're writing to because the Google APIs are quite high level you know they're all sort of written in java even if the underlying stuff is implemented in in c or c plus plus all the mm. apis are in java and they're the same across all phones so it wasn't like this htc phone had you know some api that wasn't available to us it was just that we were using the apis and, and they were breaking but only on that phone right to be fair there is there is an incredible frustration with android when it comes to debugging mm-hmm. you'll find a lot of the development is quite smooth a lot of the initial testing is is sort of quite easy like deployment to the store obviously is is hassle free but where if there's headaches anywhere in Android, it's in it's in debugging. So you know you get an email. I have this phone. This doesn't work. And you know this might be a phone that you don't have access to. Sometimes people, you know, they they kind of mod the heck out of their phones as well. So you know I've got this ROM and this version and this and and this is crashing. And you don't know whether to say, well, <laughs> you're on well, your own. Well, don't there, do Paolo, that. To, <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, we had the funniest email the other day. Someone said, um, I changed the DPI settings on my phone, and now your app's broken. <laughs> oh, what okay. the hell? They installed some ROM where they could change <laughs> the DPI that the phone thought it had, so they could get their text bigger or smaller or something. And yeah, I don't know. It, it, it goes I removed all the RAM from my phone, and now your app won't load. <laughs> it's like, well, don't break your phone; it'll work better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Although, to be fair, nine times out of ten, these people that that do this understand that you know they're they're kind of compromising their phones, and they're quite happy when things go wrong to try and figure out. If there's some yeah, way to solve it. But every now and again, you get the one in 10 that, that feels entitled that I should be able to do whatever I want to my Android phone and your app should just run full stop. Quit making excuses. Nice. That interesting challenge there. But it, it, I mean, the fact that you have a technical savvy uh, customer base just you know, makes it even possible that you do something about that. Yeah, because they're the ones that tend to follow you on Twitter and, and sort of upgrade to your release the second it comes out. And so mm-hmm. it's it's almost like a massive form of beta testing. Like instead of signing up, you know, a thousand people into your beta program and trying to manage sending out emails and things to them. You, you literally just put the application into the store once you've tested it. You send it out on Twitter, and all the hardcore people, you know, get it and report back straight away. And you can, you can often turn things around within hours, so that by the time the average, you know, person's kind of realised that there's an update for your app, all that sort of stuff is fixed already. Wasn't that Google strategy? Like they never call software done. You know, Gmail was in beta. Is it still in beta? I think they call it beta for a long, long, long time. It's almost yep. beta forever. I think they've removed that now because they had some problem with getting into corporations and universities and things with the beta tag on it. Yeah, interesting point. But you're right. That that definitely is their strategy is that they tend to iterate very fast and, and just see what works and what doesn't. Right. Yeah, and use the customer base as the, the guinea pig, right? They're the tester. <laughs> exactly. But, it, but I like that it's sort of self-sorting. The kind of guy that's constantly watching the store for updates is the kind of guy who's a good beta tester, and the regular mortal who doesn't do that will miss that whole process. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what we found. And also the kind of guy who's who's very keen to, to do that is also very willing to help you out when things go wrong. So you still get customers on Android who obviously expect you know their apps not to crash and everything to work, and that's 
that's fair enough. I don't think that's a bad expectation. But you find a lot of the early adopters don't have that expectation. They're quite happy to work through bugs and sort of help you fix them. Interesting. I wanted to jump back. You, you mean you heard the email we read from from Johan? He was talking about the sort of business side of all this. Do you have any interest in that area? I mean, I know you're you're building sort of typical apps for the field, but are you looking at the business applications for this in this form factor? No, I think we made a conscious decision, you know, down to the fact that we've called ourselves Shifty Jelly. That was a a, a deliberate thing to make sure that we never went back into the uh, the enterprise world because. I don't know. I just have no interest in, in that well, sort Well, you've of thing. come but, from there. You you spent time in Enterprise Java. If anything would put you off working in corporate world, that, that would be it. <laughs> Bingo. But, I mean, in in Australia, at least, um, Android doesn't seem to have a lot of take-up among corporations. Like, a lot of them, if they're going to do something, they want to do it for iPhones. And I, I right. guess that's because the iPhone is seen in a lot of places as the cooler phone that, you know, all the manager types have. And they, mm-hmm. they look at their iPhone and their iPad and they say, hey... You know, isn't this amazing? Let's let's build some applications for this. And even if their IT department is a bit, you know, anti-iPhone, if the boss is holding all the money, then that's where the uh, the budget comes from. Yeah, I can't tell you how many IT guys I've talked to having, you know, doing IT podcasts as well, who say the CTO showed up with an iPad and said, this will work in our network. Let me know how many minutes it will take. <laughs> right? like this is there's, there's no debate, right or wrong. It's this is going to happen. Senior management has it and de- is demanding it. As much as it is a problem. Yeah, we, we've seen that very often where the top management level has iPhones and the IT, a lot of the IT guys have Android, but it doesn't matter if that's what the manager's got, then that's what's going to be working. Yep, no question. Well, it sounds like that's a show, guys. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, Russell. I really appreciate your insight. No, no problems at all. Uh, Russell, is there a blog or something we can read more about your experiences? So we, we obviously have a website, shiftyjelly.com.au, and there's a link there to our WordPress blog where we, we tend to write up a lot of our experience. You'll find stuff on there about, you know, our dealings with, you know, with Android, with iPhone, with Amazon, with all sorts of companies that we've sort of had dealings with. And even we sometimes post technical things there as well, which is something we're trying to do more of. Awesome. Thanks, Russell. No, thank you. All right, great show. And we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. Tablet Show.